everybody. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where I stop talking briefly and then I put in a sound effect, probably something I already had in the library. Thank you, Ronnie. Ah, that takes me back. Nicely done. I, I, uh... Did something I love doing today hmm. that I don't get to do too often, and that is go record shopping. Ooh. Uh, Where did, did you go to Record Surplus? Record Surplus is, is our local record joint. It's on and, Santa Monica uh, Boulevard, right? Uh, Santa Monica and Sentinella here yeah. in West L.A. And uh, they used to be on Pico, and they moved. I know. It used to be within walking distance. It was so great. Yeah. They, yeah. They, there was a video game called Brutal Legend. Which took mm. place inside like the world of heavy metal album covers, and Jack Black played the protagonist. And the beginning of the video game was Jack Black walking into record surplus to buy heavy metal albums, specifically record surplus. So I'm watching, I'm playing this video game for the first time, and I'm like, I can. That's two blocks away. Jack Black is there now. <laughs> so great. I miss um, that. I miss that store at that location in particular. That was a great. Location. Yeah, the old location they had, the, like the dollar bin, was an entire like little attic loft. You yeah. had to climb up a staircase to get cool. to it. And uh, when they moved locations, it was one floor, but they still call that area the attic. It's just yes. off to the side in, the, in this big warehouse space. Tradition. I, but uh, I bring it up because I was able to procure, uh, for only $6, six separate volumes of uh, special effects. Ooh. Like audio effects. That's cool. You can get, like, audio special effects in the public domain for real, real cheap there. Oh, can uh, I borrow that? <laughs> maybe so, but uh, th that's that's another way of announcing, hey, I finally get to write again, so there's a, another radio drama on the distant horizon. Yes, that's so awesome. I'm, I'm going to try to make another one. Uh, that's cool. Witty has written mm. and uh, directed and produced and edited several radio dramas mm. already. If you want to buy them, uh, you can contact him directly, or they are available at no additional charge for our top-tier patrons over that's right. Yeah, if, That's right, yeah. That's Network. If, if you're one of the uh, the Alien Prince, that's the name of our top tier. Yeah. Uh, uh, so if you've recently signed up and you didn't know because it's been a hot minute, uh, be, be sure to like reach out to Whitney. He'll send them over. But, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but in any case, this is our movie review show. My name is William Bibiani. Everyone calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. Uh, I am a film critic. You sure are. Indeed. And uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing the new releases Candyman, which is uh, the new one. Candyman 4. Yeah. Uh, He's All That, the new one. Vacation Friends, the old one. And it's, it's, it's a new film. The But it's the only one, right? It's the only film called Vacation Friends, as far as I know. So it's also the old one. <laughs> All right. And No Man of God. Mm. I have no idea if there are other films called that. Anyway, uh, those are the new movies we're reviewing this week on critically acclaimed... Uh, and uh, that's an interesting crop of cinema, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> Just a big old bunch of everything um, in there. Let's start talking with. Uh, let's start a conversation with Candyman because Please. this one, this is a film that has been delayed, and uh, yeah, and in fact, if it had come out on its original uh, release date, it would have felt a hell of a lot more timely. Um, because I think its original release date was right around the time the uh, the Black Lives Matter protests were right. happening. It, I think it's always going to be timely, but it would have been like uh, uh, really, rather really on the yeah, nose. Rather yeah. unfortunately, it's always going to be timely. Yeah, uh, very true. But um, but yeah, uh, yeah Candyman, uh, the original film was from 1992. It's based on a mid 80s short story by Clive Barker. Uh, the original story took place in England. The film, uh, directed by a, a British director, Bernard Rose, uh, was transposed to the Cabrini Green projects in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And uh, that film is about a 
Virginia Madsen, a young white woman who goes into uh, the project to uh, examine the urban legends therein and discovers the legend of the Candyman. And as it turns out, uh, the Candyman is this real malevolent spirit. And as the ghost of, uh, we get to learn his sort of his origin story through over the course of the sequels. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, he was, he was wronged by mm. a, a, a white mob. He was horrifically tortured, mm. killed. And now, uh, his legacy is that if you look in a mirror mm. and say the words candy man five times in a row, I don't recommend it. Uh, why risk it? Uh, he comes, he becomes real and kills you. Uh, the original Candyman is one of the best horror movies of the 90s, and I don't care what anyone says, the 90s was a great decade for horror movies, so if you ask me, that puts it on the list of the best horror movies ever made. <laughs> uh, incredibly well acted, yeah, smartly yeah. written, the score by Philip Glass is just eerie. Which, uh, um, which they play over the credits of, of mm-hmm. this new uh, fourth Candyman film. But it's also really thoughtful, and it's a very much about mm. the legacy of racism uh, and the way that that legacy becomes distorted through the act of ongoing storytelling. And over the course of that first film, here is a white grad student mm. who is trying to take this story of black trauma, black pain, and basically just explain it away well, well, it, and kind of rob it of its power. And then, of trying, course, it comes to life and yeah, what, what regains that power. What she's trying to do is intellectualize it. And uh, this... it. The first Candyman film uh, is is actually incredibly intelligent about the way it uh, wields the language and the use of uh, in, of the intelligentsia mm-hmm. of like of white academia mm-hmm. to intellectualize and distance themselves from from black pain yeah. and, uh, and and how it in, and and, and, it, and by extension black and also black fiction as yeah, well yeah yeah basically like, like oh we can it, explain it away it's it's it, it's, yeah. it's using this sort of racist trope that it has to be written by a, a white grad student in order to be like legitimized in this in this weird sort of in this yeah. way um and then the movie literally attacks yeah. her for it and yeah indeed and, yeah. and ta- it takes her to task for it and uh i think it's very telling that in this new Candyman film when we are retold the Candyman story it's about her uh-huh she, yeah she did co-opt that yeah um, it became yeah she whether she meant to or not she became the tale and mm. that's what a lot of people know about it now boy I, i'm glad you picked up on that too because i thought yeah. that was really clever there's a lot to pick up on it in this new Candyman. um it's directed by nia DaCosta, an incredibly assured director she is just knocking it out of the park yeah. like visually uh, did, there's a lot of really interesting did you see her uh, debut little woods because i missed it. I didn't and see I really Little need to Woods, go back yeah. and check this out because uh, boy, is this, this is the first film yeah. of hers that I've seen, and she's really, really uh, doing. It. She uh, co-wrote the screenplay with uh, Jordan Peele and um, Win Rosenfeld. Win Rosenfeld yeah. and uh, Jordan Peele also made a film called Us, which uh, is an incredibly busy film that's full of a lot of interesting ideas. And I can see uh, Nia DaCosta; she's probably the one who's kind of like. Ma- that making in a, little. a little bit more of a movie out of it because I can see a lot of ideas just sneezed all over this movie yeah. that don't connect in any kind of meaningful way. I think the worst just thing, like us. I think the very worst thing I can say about this new Candyman, which I admire, mm-hmm. uh, 
is that it's a little it's a little messy in the middle. Yeah. Um, it's trying to be like three different kinds of movies all at once. It's trying to be a movie about uh, uh, an artist who might be losing their mind. It's trying to be a conventional slasher mm. in a lot of ways. It's trying to be something that's actually about like history and art as a concept. And, yeah, and, and it's and all not, kind of a little slapdash yeah, in the middle. Like I think a, it comes together well at the end, but it's really well, slapdash in the middle. A lot of its symbolism is, symbolism is really, really great. Um, I Although it's a little... Candyman, we learn, uh, there's a line of dialogue where Candyman is not the bee, Candyman is the whole hive. Yeah. And how Candyman is less this one vengeful spirit and more uh, an ever-changing spirit, very much like Freddy Krueger in New Nightmare, mm. this changing form of evil that has come to represent uh, the the stain left by uh, violence against black bodies. Yeah. Uh, and how that can take many different forms. And unfortunately, Candyman is, at once, he's a boogeyman, he's a spirit of vengeance, and he's also something to be feared. He's like all of these yeah. different things at one, the same he, time. He, he's a martyr, yeah. and he's a demon, and he's uh, uh, a Joker. vigilante in some mm-hmm. respects. In jo- other Joker, respects, Smoker, he's... Midnight Toker. He's he's a little a yeah. little bit but, of everything. But to... that's what stories are, aren't they? Yeah, like yeah, as they just... evolve over time, as different people tell them, as different people co-opt the mm. iconography and use it to mean different things in different generations, the meaning yeah, shifts. And we've this seen this idea with all the great of, uh, monsters, I think. Dracula, Frankenstein. Th- this idea that Candyman, uh, the, the demon itself, like the monster, is changing as generations pass is a perfectly fitting way to look at this monster. I agree. It also has this entirely separate criticism of uh, the art world and how white criticism affects black art. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the comment is here, but oh. the, f- the first victim of Candyman in sort of this art installation made by the main character, mm-hmm. uh, let me cite the actor's name because mm-hmm. uh, he's, he's pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Abdul Mateen the second. Oh yeah. Um, he puts this art installation. He's inspired by Candyman when he hears the story and he makes an art installation called Say My Name. And uh, after hours, there's a character who's. He owns the gallery. He owns the gallery yeah. and he's canoodling with his mistress and he invokes Candyman and they kill him. And that guy is named Clive. And yeah, that was weird, trying, right? If they're trying to kill Clive Barker. Like somehow but he, he but was nothing else really implicated con- in all of nothing this. Nothing else really connects with Clive yeah. Barker. I feel like what they're trying to say by having a lot of the Candyman's actual murder victims in this movie are white. Not exclusively, which mm. perhaps muddles the intent of the murders a little bit. But um, a lot of this movie is about because the protagonist is an artist. Because the protagonist is an artist who is well-to-do. Hmm. He's a black artist who is trying to be, he's inspired by, and actually trying to make money. He's thrilled by the idea of success. When a murder happens, he goes, oh my God, they said the name of my art installation on the news. Not, oh my God, that guy is dead. Yeah. Uh, he's he's divorced himself from that. To uh, which his, his girlfriend is played by uh, Tayona Paris mm-hmm. from Chirac. Yeah. Uh, it, See Chirac if you can. Uh, that's that's an excellent movie. Um, who she's completely disgusted by that. Of exactly. Course, so it's, like, so we're pretty on the nose. So like, we have a lot of white characters here who are only interested in black art to the extent to which that they can profit off of it. Mm-hmm. And the there's a white critic in this movie who specifically speaks about how, yeah, you know, oh yes, you're you're talking about 
racism, but it's all in, it's all a bunch of cliches. It's, it's so like, who cares? Yeah, performative cliche. And exactly. It yeah, doesn't, doesn't feel honest to me. Yeah. And here he is trying to say something about gentrification, but it's also gentrification that he is taking part of. Mm. He's moved back into yeah, and, the, well, the, the decaying corpse of the Cabrini Green now that it's being gentrified. Yeah, and he is himself is going yeah. to profit off of the legend of Candyman, which is a long historical series of oh, martyrs, yeah. and he pays a price for that too. Which uh, was actually a big part of Candyman Three, which is <laughs> I a, noticed which that. is a, which is a terrible movie, by yeah. the way. It's like really aggressively awful. It feels like there's a couple. If you've never seen, if you've only seen Candyman, good for you. The first Candyman's great. If you've seen <laughs> Candyman Two, Farewell to the Flesh, or Candyman Three, Day of the Dead, you'll notice that they're not as good. Um, uh, and the, some, the Farewell to the Flesh yeah. has some defenders. I'm not a fan. It's definitely think, better than Day of the Dead. Yeah, but well, what Day, I was surprised, Day, Day of the Dead is trash. It's but just badly uh, made. Farewell to the Flesh was was a Bill Condon joint, so it yeah. has some style and idea to it. Has, it. Yeah. I don't think this. I think I think it misses the point. But regardless, what I was surprised by watching this new Candyman was that clearly they saw the sequels and tried to rescue a few of the ideas <laughs> and try to incorporate them in a more thoughtful way. Even the, even the whole art gallery sequence by itself mm. is very familiar to something that happens in Candyman three. And so I'm watching this. I'm like. Oh, and it reminded me a little bit. <laughs> it reminded me a little bit of Rob Zombie's Halloween Two, right. which I'm rather fond of. Which is, you know, it's another messy film. But oh, gosh, Rob Zombie looked at all the Halloween sequels, all of them, mm. and said, "Here's a bunch of slapdash movies that couldn't figure out how to follow up on Michael Myers, but every single one of them had something neat in it. So I'm going to do a one scene that's a siege in a hospital. That's mm. from Halloween Two. I'm going to do the whole thing about maybe his evil isn't going to infect his niece, and I'll incorporate that. Oh, uh, the uh, yeah, Loomis uh, wrote a book. Well, I can use that as a plot point. Why not? So like, okay. it's just kind of this like does, interesting amalgam of all the good ideas. Where does Weird Al Yankovic come into all Halloween three? He, I don't know. <laughs> what do you want from me? I don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> Halloween three done. Sure. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if uh, the, the, the screenwriters or the producers were uh, trying to incorporate a broader mythology uh, from the Candyman series entire. I, I don't I don't think it's I, I don't think it's necessary to see Can Farewell to the Flesh oh, or no. Day of the Dead uh, no, I do not to understand it. this. Um, but if you did, I think you might be pleasantly surprised to see yeah, that it kind of I've, incorporated somehow. I've, I've seen them all and it, it's still a little bit uh, slapdash. It doesn't fit together perfectly well uh, just as a as a, like a movie or a story. There's a lot of these mm. plot elements that don't make a whole lot of sense. It um, gets really plot heavy in the third yeah, act in ways that, of, in ways that almost lost me. I seriously, I was really admiring this movie, even when it wasn't great, it was taking big swings and then things started to come together mm. in the third act. And I don't want to go into detail here. Things come together in the third act in a way that I thought was frankly kind of crap. <laughs> I thought I was looking it's, at the yeah. way the plot, the plot, specifically mm. the plot, was like, and here's why these things happen, and here's how it all connects, and here's, here's, here's how the movie's going to end. Here's and what, I'm thinking what to myself, this character is actually ultimately headed towards. And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, this means very little. It's um. actually very frustratingly almost trite. And then, it doesn't end that way. <laughs> and the way it actually ends, I feel, recontextualizes everything yeah. well, in a way it, that is very satisfying. It, it recontextualizes, like, like I said, I, I like the symbolism and I like all of these ideas and like this, it, there's like single pages of various essays all kind of shuffled right? together in, yeah. into this one. And I, I do like that about this movie. And I think Nia DaCosta is a skilled enough director that she can make a little bit of thematic sense of all of this and she also stages some pretty good scare sequences oh yeah there's well. some good scare there's a, a good scare sequence in a public restroom that i was really fond of oh, and, yeah. and the best sequence in the movie was 
uh, a kill scene from uh, the exterior of an apartment as the yeah. camera pulls out and you get like this tiny That's little really, detail really great. This, yeah. uh, sea of windows. It's, it's like Jacques Tati murder scene. Yeah. Uh, it, that, that one was a really, really great sequence. Um, there's a lot in here to recommend and I do recommend it. Uh, I, yeah. I think this is one of those rare instances where I think 91 minutes isn't enough time. There's actually so many mm-hmm. ideas in here. I wish they had sort of stayed with a few of them longer so yeah. it could like cohere a little bit more strongly. No, I definitely think there's enough material here that you could have really played with it. I think there's something interesting about this new Candyman and that it is even compared to the original, which was not subtle mm. in its not even subtext it's text yeah. it was and, very on the nose and and it, it's and the original was more subtle than this one. <laughs> oh, you know yeah. i agree my point is the original is was more subtle than this one but it was still pretty in your face yeah and it should have been it had it was, a point to make it's quite up front um this new one i there's something frustrating i'm finding where a lot of people are saying that like horror is better when you don't talk about what the horror is about and it's mm-hmm. all just subtext and that can uh-huh. work but for me I'm thinking of a couple of things that make this really exciting to me. One is that here's a movie that isn't afraid to just talk about what it's talking about. Mm. And it's also a movie that is emerging from, let's be honest here, the world that we're in right now, Mm. people who care about things like art and social activism, issues that come up very directly in the movie Candyman, we're not subtle about it. We tweet about it directly. We write mm-hmm. essays about it. We talk about it with like-minded people or people who disagree with our points of view. We live, I think, in part because social media has made uh, communication so direct mm. uh, in a lot of ways. We live in a, in a time when people are very openly talking about the issues that interest them and the issues yeah. that are important to them constantly. And to say that that discourse doesn't belong in cinema is to deny the fact that that's how we talk right now not everybody but a lot of people and those it's, people deserve to have their voices expressed in cinema uh yeah the 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 discord the discourse trademark yeah. uh is yeah. um I, I know that's a, a very vague broad term yeah. but uh you know this but it's, 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 it's conversation it's a, it's the a, it's a, it's a way to way to talk about sort of the conversations and the yeah. way it, we tend to have them on social media the back and forth uh does tend to be a lot more direct where we're getting to the point a lot faster with one another mm-hmm. in, in many, many cases. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, having a much more direct film is fine. I've never had any problems with films being direct. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we just talked about this very thing when we reviewed Malcolm X on yeah. the streaming club, or I guess it's critically, mm-hmm. critically reclaimed. Now we re- retitled that yeah. show. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I don't I'm not going to object to anything about sort of it's it's uh, very openly stated thesis. The only problem with that is if it becomes boring, but that's true for anything. Mm. Any mood kind of movie can become boring if you're not an interesting enough filmmaker. Mm. Candyman is it's throwing a lot of material in there, and some of it's a little slapdash. Like the way it's put together feels a mm. little crammed in, but it's never boring. Yeah. I was on high alert this entire movie. I was <laughs> like really a... just absorbing this whole thing. I really, oh, I really was excited. I think this is exciting filmmaking, even it, mm. even in the little bits here and there where I was just like, okay, that plot that's thing, like, doesn't. St- I don't really care about that, but the, this part works so well, I don't mind. Mm. I'm so fascinated by it, I don't mind that there are little things. That that's, yeah, a little, a little, yeah. a little. Uh, Nitpicks. Uh, yeah, nitpicky plot stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the the ideas are more important than that, and mm-hmm. and uh, Nia Costa tells it in in 
an exciting enough way that you're yeah. you're still going to be swept along even as the the plot makes less sense and what happens to the main character doesn't make any sense. And, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of interesting visual stuff. I love the way this film is photographed. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, th- did you notice this? Yeah. Uh, if if you go back and watch the original Candyman, the opening title sequence is uh, like a, sco- a helicopter shot yeah. over Chicago. Yeah. As Philip Glass's really scary uh, score plays. And Nita Costa opened this with a camera that's looking straight up from the ground. Yeah. As it goes through the... Uh, the, the it's eerie, actually. It's a good-looking mm. good title sequence. Mm. I really liked it a lot. Um, I was going to say something else. Oh, the other thing I was thinking I was watching this, and I just... Um, I feel like... I, I, I'm glad that this movie is... I mean, there's always going to be some people who don't like anything, but I'm glad that this movie is finding some appreciative audience. And I know there's some very well-written criticisms where people who just didn't care for it or didn't care for the way that it dealt with the issue of mm. generational black trauma. And I think, fair enough, there are also people who are really responding to it. Both sides have some validity, I think. Uh, but the conversation will continue and eventually we'll start having more and more complex conversations about this movie as we become able to have spoiler ridden conversations about this movie. Because mm-hmm. I think that once you can really talk about some of like the, the revelations and the way that the movie actually ends, I think that's when you can really have a serious conversation about everything this movie is laying okay. down. Right now we're being a little vague yeah. and we're doing the best we can, but... Um, I was reminded a lot of a movie, which I don't think it was as skillfully put together, but a movie which is also a lot of good ideas, really interesting dialogue, took some big swings, and I think the ending either makes or breaks it, and that's the the most recent remake of Black Christmas, oh, okay, which had yeah, some yeah. really interesting characters and oh. some really interesting manipulations of the original storyline in order to say something that's kind of relevant now to the way we talk about oh. uh, uh, feminism and sexism today, and... Um, I would love to. I think they're a great double feature. I think you can watch <laughs> yes. can, the new Candyman, watch the new Black Christmas back to back. I think you'll see. I think you'll, if I think if you're the kind of person who will appreciate this new Candyman, and maybe you missed why some people liked the new Black Christmas. If you watch them back back to back, you might realize that oh, that's what Black Christmas was doing. Yeah, but yeah, Black Christmas is very upfront. Uh, it, it's very openly a very cheap movie like it, it, yeah. you, you can like you can see the seams in that movie yeah like there, there's a scene where they're doing dialogue and they have to, they're clearly shooting from far away and doing like adr oh, after yeah. the fact and oh, you yeah. can see that their mouths aren't moving. like that kind of like you start noticing little technical stuff yeah, like that do, but yeah but uh, anyway the new one i like the that, new that's, one that's a good, good that's a good idea though is that yeah. the new the newest black christmas that yeah. it's been remade twice uh yeah <laughs> uh and and uh yeah the newest candy man would would play off each other pretty well. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, that's the newest Candyman. Now let's talk about another movie mm. that updates a classic '90s movie. And um, I don't know if you could hear it in my voice, me putting air quotes on classic there. Uh, He's all that, which is a quasi remake of the 1999 mm. teen comedy She's All That, mm. which starred Freddie Prinze Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook. Um, and and they're all based on George Bernard Shaw's. Pygmalion. Yes, which would eventually become the musical My Fair Lady. Um, and basically any story you've ever seen, especially romantic stories about someone who gives someone else a makeover so that they can either hmm. join polite society or become cool or become famous. It's George Bernard Shaw. George Bernard <laughs> Shaw did this amazing play called Pygmalion. It's really, really funny. Very acidic. Um the, and, it's been uh, adapted into film numerous times mm-hmm. I, as, I, as Pygmalion and then also yeah. adapted into the musical My Fair yeah. Lady. Uh, what do you prefer, uh, the uh, the 1930s movie Pygmalion or My Fair Lady with uh, Audrey Hepburn? Oh, My Fair Lady by far. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
I like. I think the cast it, is better in the original, but I I can totally see it. In, in They're both the, good. In the 1930s film, I I had no reason to believe that those two were like falling in love. I never thought they were falling in love yeah. in either version. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> that's my own, that's my biggest the, problem the, with Pygmalion is I never thought they my, had any my, meaningful connection. My fair I thought lady they were just has, stuck together. My fair lady at least has I've grown accustomed to her face. Well, uh, which, cause which sort of is a, a speak song, which isn't and, really a romantic number. No, but he, he's sort of a dry character. But you see what's going on because it's musical and it's Lerner and Low and it's great. Yeah, and yeah. Um, well, anyway, I think Leslie Howard but gets it across in the '30s yeah. one, but. Anyway, I, um, and I, I do love Leslie Howard, but I don't like his chemistry with the. I forgot who played. The, I also forget who whatever the, the lead in that it, one. It, not whatever, but we'll think about later. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so 1999 yeah, comes along, and there was this weird little pocket of teen movies. Of teen movies in the late 90s, early 2000s, where all of a sudden, like the teen genre, kind of died off a little bit after the John Hughes boom of the 80s, and there mm. just weren't a lot of them in the 90s. A few notable ones, Can't Hardly Wait, etc. But Mostly, it wasn't like the popular movie genre. And, a lot of that stuff is, had moved to television on like the WB, and there were there were movies about teenage characters all throughout. Sure. But there was a very specific type of frothy teenage uh, comedic melodrama mm-hmm. that was just gigantic at the time. Yeah. And, like starting in ninety, maybe I don't know. Was I think, it? I think Ro- I, Romeo plus Juliet. Maybe I think you can see it starting with Clueless actually, and that's, oh, I think there Clueless go, is yeah. a noteworthy example here because what we're talking about. Largely is the idea of adapting classic literature in case of uh, Romeo and Juliet classic theater and uh, setting it in a high school, a contemporary high school setting Mm -hmm. with contemporary teenagers uh, in order to a capitalize on public domain good drama. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, you let's get, you've already you get, a, you get a good story, you get good characters, and we update them for a modern audience. Clueless yeah. is an adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma. And it's uh, great. It's, it's legitimately qu- great. Quite a good film. Uh in addition to Romeo Plus Juliet, there were films like Ten Things I Hate About You, which was a, a modern teen version of The Taming of the Shrew. Which is quite charming, actually. Yeah. I like that movie a lot. There was um uh, what was the uh, the Twelfth Night remake? Oh, she's uh, the man. She's the I man. I didn't see that. She's one. the man with uh, Amanda Bynes. Remember her? There was uh, O, which was a retelling of Othello mm-hmm. with um, I think it was Mackay Pfeiffer, Julia Stiles, and Josh Hartnett. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cruel Intentions was an was adaptation a, of uh, Dangerous Liaisons. Dangerous Liaisons. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of the more popular entries in that was mm-hmm. the Pygmalion adaptation. She's all that. Uh, in which Freddie Prince Jr. plays the most popular dude in school, but his girlfriend just left him for like a MTV celebrity, played by Matthew Lillard, if memory mm. serves. And so he, in order to get his mojo back, accepts a bet from one of his friends that he can take the least popular girl in school and turn her into the most popular girl well, in school. Specifically, have her elected prom queen. Yep. And uh, the least popular girl in school is played by Rachel Lee Cook. There is a movie. That does this story better than she's all that, mm. called Not Another Teen Movie. <laughs> Which is a spoof of all those teen movies. Of all the like scary movie, mm. date movie, mm. superhero movie, of all of those spoofs, Not Another Teen Movie is the one that works best. Because they know what they're making fun of, and they're pretty pointed about it. And there's a lot of parody moments from She's All That, where the, the dude, played by Chris Evans... Is uh, looking at the Rachel Lee Cook character and he's just like, there's no way I could make her the most popular girl in school. She has a ponytail and she and wears, wears glasses. glasses. Yeah. And there's this bit where he takes off the ponytail and the glasses and he's like, oh my god, she's gorgeous. How did yeah, this the, happen? Uh, 
yeah, the and the 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 quote unattractive people are the most attractive people you could possibly yeah. imagine. They're interesting. They're mm. funny. They're very very attractive. There's this hilarious moment in the original She's All That where Freddie Prince Jr. takes off Rachel Lee Cook's glasses and it's like, oh, you're so beautiful. I'm like, you couldn't see that with her glasses she, on. She's beautiful with the glasses. Also, on. I'm going to throw it out there. She doesn't really wear glasses for the rest of the movie. She needs to see. <laughs> they don't. They don't say that she has contacts. She's. They say she's not very well off. <laughs> She might not be able to afford contacts. I've never had more than one actual working prescription pair of glasses in my whole life. Hmm. If I had a double, it's from an old prescription. So, yeah, I buy that. They just completely took away her ability to see hmm. for fun. Uh, anyway, anyway. I, I, I have not seen the original She's All That. I that, have. that one passed me by. And, uh, I'm going to say it right now. Hmm. It's not that great. I've, I've it, heard it. It deals with a lot of uh, like really horrendous sexist tropes. And yep. There's a lot of dated jokes that don't. It was dated play very at, well. It was dated at the time. Oh, I saw it at the time, mm. and I was thinking to myself, "I'm an, I'm a senior in high school. Okay, I'm not exactly wise yet, and I'm watching this, and I'm going, this is some dated sexist bullshit.' <laughs> and it's and I, I think the main cast is charming enough that they get away with it. But it's one of the worst films in that, mm. you know, literary adaptation teen movie cycle, even though it was one of the most successful. So well, I don't consider it sacred. So if you're going to remake it, I'm like, cool, maybe you'll get it right this time. Yeah, it, it was successful enough to warrant a remake 20 years after the fact. Mm -hmm. uh, now we have He's All That, which is the exact same story gender flipped. Updated a little uh, bit for the, for the modern social media 21st yeah, well, th century. And this is trying to... Uh, pander hard <laughs> at modern teenagers. Uh, it's directed by Mark Waters, who did Mean Girls and Vampire Academy, and typically has a pretty good finger on the pulse of like mm -hmm. how young people uh, behave are... and are actually funny characters. Mean Girls and Vampire Academy are both good movies. Yeah, yeah Vampire yeah. Academy is a little like it's setting up it's, too much to be like a good it, standalone, it but it works. A, yeah, it feels a little bit too much like you know YA Vampire Wars kind of nonsense, but. The, the interaction between the teen characters is really interesting. And yeah. Zoe Deutsch is in it, and she's really great. Yeah. No, that's, that's, um, it's, it's an underrated film. It's an uh, underrated film. Yeah, he, here he is doing He's All That, working with an incredibly small budget. And uh, Oh, this now, movie looks so cheap. Yeah. Like, Even for a teen movie where there's not there, a lot of money you need, it looks very cheap. There's a scene where the main character is doing karaoke with a beach behind her, and she waves her hand, and her hand passes beyond whatever blue screen she was filming what? against and it vanishes in oh my god i didn't even see that that's hilarious <laughs> it's this little, weird little technical problem oh that my just god left in the movie. all the times to blink my god uh, that's yeah it, 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 it is a bl literal blink and you yeah. miss it oh, but yeah her, what a, what a her hand thing. vanishes oh in one god. scene that's hilarious. um but the main character is now not no longer freddie prince jr but uh played by addison ray addison ray Mm -hmm. is a TikTok star. Yeah, is that, is I'm, that I'm too old to know this world. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she, she became famous in the world of TikTok. Uh, mm -hmm. Evidently, she is the world's highest earning TikTok performer. Oh, good. And she, she's a dancer on okay. TikTok. Well, and, uh, and now good she's, for her, I and, guess. And this has led to her leading this film. Um, she, she is modern teen version of famous and that is internet famous she has uh, she's an influencer she's made a lot of money as an influencer people uh, you know mm -hmm. and yeah 
an influencer. You, if you have enough followers, companies will contact you, give you free things or even money to mm-hmm. advertise their products. So she mm-hmm. gives like makeup tutorials. Yeah. The opening scene is she gets out of bed, uh, showers, brushes her hair, puts on makeup, then gets back in bed, turns on the camera and pretends like she's just waking up looking like a million bucks. Yep. Uh, You'd think that would be satire, but the film does nothing with this idea. I don't think it's satire. I think it's just a reality. Yeah, and, and I think I don't think I don't think the movie's making fun of it. I think I feel the movie's like, just uh, saying when, this is her job. When Bo Burnham made the film Eighth Grade, he actually is commenting very heavily on the fact that the person you are under the, the camera is incredibly different from the person you are in reality. Yeah, this film says they're one and the same. And Addison Ray uh, goes goes about her business talking to her in- Instagram followers. She's dating a really hot dude who's shirtless and dances around and sings very badly. And uh, he, she catches him in his trailer with another woman scandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's caught on camera crying and losing it and throwing things at him, justifiably. So I would oh, say, oh yeah, he's cheating on her, and, and she yet, caught him, and she throws some, she throws some desserts she made for mm-hmm. him at him. And there's a bit where she's like realizes her best friend is still filming this. This is this is like going live to mm-hmm. her feed. She and uh, she's got like she's so upset that she's got tears and she's got like a snot bubble mm. and then the snot bubble goes viral, the which s- is sounds like the internet. Well, and and it it's this weird state of modern fame and uh, you know the way and, you know gender disparity of internet infamy that her snot bubble and her cracking of the the vanity. Yeah is a bigger story than the fact that her boyfriend cheated on her. Which he, and, yeah. he, he becomes more famous for this. Yeah. And he gets she, more popular. He gets more popular for committing an act of infidelity. And she uh, becomes less popular because she had a booger. Yeah. And that's, really, not, and that's not addressed in the movie you, either. You really think that would be more of the point of yeah. like just how completely sexist that is. So in, yeah. in order to get her Instagram followers back, she mm. decides to take on a project, and the project is the hottest boy in school. So like pre- the guy that she broke up with was mm. nobody until she gave him like a makeover and helped him out with his like social media presence. So she takes on a challenge from one of her friends to do the exact same thing again. Yeah. And uh, it's the same vibe as from She's All That. They go through everyone in the school they go through like you know oh well what about that guy that drug dealer eh, the crime thing's kind of hot yeah. what, what about, about this guy this like computer programmer is like always oh, gonna be a millionaire next year yeah, and every time we cut back to that guy by the way i love that he's like this recurring character he's kind of awesome yeah i kind of love that I, guy I, I liked him and yeah. and i and i loved the 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 goth girl those are my oh, two gosh, favorite characters the, all these little two mm. tiny support characters like they have two who, lines each but, but yeah they, 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 they stand out yeah. um and that's all i actually think that's good writing you always want like even the smallest characters in your movie to have a personality that you can like recognize. Uh, that's always, that's always worth celebrating. I feel, but what they end up picking is this guy named Cameron Queller played by a guy whose name is Tanner Buchanan. And I can't tell which of those names sound more (laughs) like a CW character. Memorize memorize Tanner Buchanan because this guy has young Val Kilmer energy for days. He is unbelievably charming. He has a wonderful screen presence. I actually like Addison Ray too. I think they're both, they're both quite likable. I feel like Tanner Buchanan like is, is spinning gold out of this turd screenplay yeah. that he was handed. He he is a very good actor, and I think he's yeah. You know, he, he, he's a rising star. He's, he's bringing a lot of genuineness to this. So his whole thing is he's, a, he, he, he's essentially a kid from 1999. Kinda. Uh, so he's he lives 
with his grandmother and his little sister who also goes to the same college. Uh, and school, he's, high school. They're in high school. I'm sorry, high school. Uh, and uh, he's a photographer and he's a, a critic, basically. That's what it is. He, he's not afraid to tell anyone that he thinks things are bullshit. He's barely on social media. He's only tweeted once and the tweet was no. Just the word no. <laughs> Just very high school. Um, but uh, basically the whole idea is that he has something akin to principles. And uh, when this and, guy and the becomes, story of the film, <laughs> the idea is that this guy becomes her assignment and she's going to make him essentially more like everybody else. There's this whole bit where they're going to go she, she, after it takes a while for her to like make him think that she's like really like interested him as a, in him as a human being and worth hanging out with. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they decide to go to this party and there's this cute bit where we're going to a great Gatsby party and he's like, you know that the parties in great Gatsby were like symbolic of how hopelessly shallow, uh, the, the, the bourgeois was right. And she's like, yeah, they don't care. I'm like, okay, (laughs) at least we're acknowledging that. I've seen a lot of versions of this Pygmalion story or, um, misfits trying to get along. Mm -hmm. That's very, very common film trope. Sure. And, uh, this is a film about trying to bring this really this artist mm-hmm. who understands a lot about the world, who is well read, uh-huh. uh, who is talented, who works with animals, who loves his grandmother, mm-hmm. who dresses like a '90s skater guy, yeah. who's insanely attractive, and, and make him more like other, and make him more like everyone, make else. him into a shallow Instagram star, and point out what a great lifestyle that is. Yeah. Has it ever happened where the opposite happens, where I'm going to bring you up, I'm going to bring you into the, my world of, of opulence and wealth, and you'll have a great time here, and that person ends up discovering art and becoming more interesting and leaving the old world behind. Uh, Prince and the Popper. Oh, there Except you go. The versions. Prince yeah. and the Popper is like two Pygmalions happening at mm-hmm. once. Um, and uh, there have been a couple of different versions of that where that has happened. I'll give you that. But yeah. granted, it but, should happen more often. But there's but this, she, my point is there's this makeover yeah. scene where we're going to give him a haircut, and I, I'll grant you he, his facial hair would needed to be dealt with. He's, <laughs> he's a teenager. It's, that needed to be cleaned up. If, but other if, than that... If, if you're in high school and yeah. you have facial hair... Take a good look at it. And wait. Some of you you can. Most of you can't. Most of you. I I couldn't. I tried. Oh, yeah. Me too. Bad idea. I had those long, greasy hair, like four greasy hairs coming out of my chin that were four inches long a piece. Bad idea. No. Bad idea. Always a bad idea. Shave it. Stay stay clean shaven. Wait until you can grow something out thicker. You'll you'll be happier for it. I promise you. Um, But in any case, at the end of this montage... And they just show him and he like walks out and it's like there's a big reveal thing and she's all that where oh she looks just like everyone else now. Huzzah. I'm like great. He comes out and he looks just like everyone else. He looks really generic. Mm. Even every single thing about this character that they had very carefully crafted so that he stood out from other people and had a personality and had interests and all of this gone. Mm. And I just wanted to throw things at my TV. I'm, I'm not. I'm not really sure. I think this film has really twisted values. I think because mm. I think at the end of the day, it is not trying to find a middle ground between uh, mm. the the vain influencer and the artistic student. I think it's just trying to say mm. that the vain influencer has a soul and is worth saving. And in fact, we need to go into that world. This is where teenagers live now, mm. and we need to be comfortable with that and celebrate that. Um, but. I, the Addison Ray character isn't a great human being. Well, she's also not awful either. And I think yeah. that's worth noting here. The only thing she does in this movie 
that is well, that she is doesn't called, do bad things. No, she doesn't. She, the worst thing she does she's, is he's a little. But she's too not an interesting person. Well, I disagree with that, and right. I'll say this right now. I, I, again, I don't think this is a great movie. I think this is not getting a C plus oh, no. for me. But I also there are things that I kind of dug about it, and one of the things that I liked about it was that this what didn't feel like a movie where one character was bad and one character was good. In fact, they were both being a little judgy. But the idea that Addison Ray's character isn't shallow and vacuous and rich she's actually working class pretending mm. to be rich for the sake of her followers oh, and, this and, is a job that's true and that's the deal here what we're talking about here is isn't influencer just for popularity's sake she's an influencer because she has discovered that she's good at it mm. and this is her high school job one of the first things we see in the movie after she wakes up puts on all the fakery pretends she just woke up does an ama and then goes to school is she talks to her mom played by rachel lee cook mm. not playing the same character she could, from she's she all that could have i don't could know have, but why not, but yeah. well she, that's not what she wanted to be so it would have been kind of a sad story if she never okay, got to yeah. be a great painter but anyway oh um, she was a painter yeah well, but whatever. just write it that way she's yeah. a painter now yeah. you could have done that they chose not to whatever anyway she talks to her mom she's very supportive of her mom and her mom even just says hey who paid the plumbing bill and she was like, I paid the plumbing bill. Mm. You work really, really hard for us. I'm making money. And I'm like, okay, so here's someone who isn't, it almost would have been cleaner if she was vacuous, but she's not. Mm. She's actually just, this is something she's good at. This is, yeah. influencer is an occupation in and of itself and doesn't have to be positive or negative, although it has positive or negative qualities. And I think this is actually an interesting film in that it looks at the idea of an influencer, of someone who uses social media used to market themselves mm. and then make money. And she's saying she's doing it for college. She's not doing it because she wants like a newer car. Yeah. She's, well, doing it for, she's doing it to set up a good future for herself. Okay. And the idea that this is just the reality of the world in which we live. And here's someone who is doing it to make money. And they're good at it. And they're not being hopelessly immoral about it. Hmm. It's not like she's like hawking cigarettes or anything like that. Or that she's being cruel and doing a bunch of mean girl shit. She's giving beauty advice. Yeah. And yeah, she's selling makeup products in the process. But a lot of people do that. I can only be yeah, so mad about that. Mm, it's, I, it's not it's, great, it, but it's not also evil. And so it, it, I thought I that wish... was kind of interesting that a movie has this neutral attitude about that rather than a judgmental, the adults who made this movie do not approve approach. I, I, I suppose so. And then that would have been uh, also a way to condescend. But uh, I wish they had played into the financial aspect a little bit more. Agreed. That, that this is her job because she's really excited about this. This is not depicted as her job it's depicted as sort of her life this mm -hmm. is how she lives this is how she thinks and if she weren't on instagram she would still be living this way mm -hmm. that was the impression i got and if there Maybe. was a moment where she said this this is my job and it's exhausting i yeah. do this all the time and that would have been nice and you know i i you think there isn't a day where i wish i didn't have to get up and you know and put makeup on before i quote wake up mm -hmm. uh that would have been great that'd be a good vacation for me there's I love no that. there's no moment like that in this it would be good if they both had a moment like that yeah. and even uh uh tanner buchanan had said listen being this outsider artist and not being part of what is popular is also exhausting. And sometimes it would be great to just be able to go with the flow and not feel like I would be losing my identity in the process. Yeah. And to like be okay just going to a party or going to prom. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to enjoy that too a little bit? Mm. You could have done that. And that would have made the movie a lot stronger. And I feel like there's a lot of opportunities this movie misses to be 
a little more genuine about what it is like. Because listen, I probably, there's this great bit in 21 Jump Street where Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum go back to high school. Mm. And high school, in just like eight years, has changed so much they don't recognize it anymore. Yeah, in fact, the the whole... uh social hierarchy, the cliched ones that you've seen in every movie. Yeah, uh, is the jocks now, yeah, rule everything. The, the jocks, the rule, are, the jocks yeah. rule and they pick on nerds has now uh, been completely reversed. Yep. Uh, and that's very good for uh, Jonah Hill, who yeah. was a nerd and still is. But anyway, I think about that. that, mm. that that's a great joke. But it's also true. It, it, it's like in the movie Mimic, you know, where like, okay, we release this cockroach into the wild and then uh, it's it's evolved into like human size. But how can they do that? It's only been a few years. You you can't think about years. You got to think about generations, hmm. cultural generations, especially amongst teenagers uh, who really absorb everything new. Hmm. Uh, that moves very rapidly. Yeah. And if I somehow wound up. I don't know if I was like if I taught a high school class or something like that or if like one day your son will go to high school and you'll have mm. to like see what it's like in high school it's probably going to be weird. <laughs> it's probably going to be almost completely it's, unrecognizable yeah. on some level. It's going to be really off-putting. I find this kind of movie where I I don't know how accurate this is but where they're trying to say that like here's how different high school is. I find that kind of interesting actually. Yeah. But yeah. there's also something just really simple about it which is that no one in high school knows fucking anything. They're all just trying to find their personalities and assert themselves and find a way to survive inside this really prison-like environment where you're <laughs> stuck there whether you like it or yeah, not. And you better find a click fast or it gets harder and harder. Like, uh, all of this is, all of that's kind of universal. I, I guess. It's not something I've ever experienced. Really? Uh, I've never seen uh, my school experiences well, not directly. A- accurately represented in you've film. Ne- but you've never uh, seen, like, in, in just a general sort of way? You nope, know? Not, okay. not, not once. Um, wow, okay. American History X came close, and that's only because they filmed at my high school. Okay, I was about uh, to say, there's a lot of fucked up shit in American <laughs> History X, and I don't know why. Um, that's the one you'd go, okay. No, the, Angus filmed at my, well, that was in middle school, actually. Uh, did any movie film at my high school? Well, I went to Venice High School, which was yeah. also the setting for Rydell High in Greece. Okay. And that was sort of its big claim quite, to fame. Quite a few movies shot at my middle school. I don't recall if any movies shot at my high school. I, can, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Weird. And, oh, and uh, Venice High School has a, that big statue of Myrna Loy out front. Oh, yeah. She has, cool. But she paid for herself. Good for her. Uh, yeah, she was a, a graduate of Venice High. Yeah. Um, and anyway, uh, yeah, th- this is sort of movie version of high school. There's not a lot of interesting ideas in here. Yeah. Uh, even though we've been talking about it for a while, hmm. the, I think the the characters are not very well drawn out, uh, and I think it values strange things. There are a few cute moments, but ultimately, hmm. this is just vapid trash. What I what I appreciate about this movie, and I think it's what I appreciate about the original, she is all that too, hmm. is that the material isn't great. I think the material is arguably a little better in this one than the original. But that still leaves a lot of room to not be great. Mm. Um, but what I see here is actually like some interesting cast members who I feel like we could see like later on. Mm. We could look back and go like, oh, wow, they all got their start. And like, he's on that. Yeah. You know, because like, again, Tanner What's Buchanan's Tanner B- quite Tanner good. Tanner Buchanan, yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, um, what's what's the name of uh, Tanner Buchanan's like best friend? Uh, um, Annie Jacob. Mm. Uh, she's very interesting. I, I really like her in the film as well. Uh, who plays his uh, sister? Oh, I've, uh, she was really good. The the younger sister character. Yeah, uh, uh, T- Tanner Buchanan has a younger sister. I'm trying to look it up. Uh, Isabella Crevetti. 
uh, okay. plays his, his younger sister. Um, she's very good in this movie, and I like her yeah, quite a bit. There's this one weird bit she, at the she, end. She's an actual teenager, yeah. and she plays an actual teen, which is nice because most of the other you know, actors are very in clearly 20s. in their mid-twenties. I actually, I think she's actually one of the better actors in the movie, and there's this really emotional moment at the end where she mm-hmm. like confronts her brother about like all the changes he's been going through and how she kind of misses the side of him that was able to have fun ever since their mom died. And it's this interesting moment because they're clearly trying to be like really bring it down a notch instead of being all this like superficial teen crap. It's supposed to be like kind of genuine teen crap. And she and that scene is at a 10 and I'm pretty sure they asked for a seven. Yeah. She's yeah. really giving this movie way more, <laughs> way more than, than this movie is asking for and probably needs honestly, because yeah. it's a little much, but you can tell that this is her like really, really trying to get something out of this very thin character and uh, good for her. I bet. Mm-hmm. I, I hope we see good things from her later. Cause again, there's a lot of talented young people here. The movie itself. Eh. Um, but their next two films I actually haven't seen. Okay. So why don't we? Uh, why don't you just start taking point on this, and why don't we go from one comedy to another? Tell me about Vacation Friends. Vacation Friends. It's the latest film. It's on Hulu. Ooh, I'm gonna um, love this review. <laughs> this is, so um, this is gonna be like reading the works of Pauline Kael. <laughs> Lil Real Howery and uh, and uh, Yvonne Orji play a couple who have gone to Mexico. Uh, it turns out he was he was going to propose, and oh, hmm. even though uh, the room didn't work out, there was a flooding in the uh, in their hotel. Uh, he ends up uh, popping the question right there in the lobby, and she says yes. They're engaged. Hooray! This attracts the attention of uh, two other vacationing Americans, played by John Cena and Meredith Hagner, and they're the party couple. <laughs> They invite, it's like, you know what? We were able to get the special deal. We have this gigantic suite. Stay in our room with us. And Uh we're great. And here, have a, have a cocktail. Welcome to our room. Wow. This salt isn't very salty. Oh, it's cocaine. We're getting the cocaine. (laughs) It's like, didn't we see you early doing like really like smoking weed while on a jet ski? Yeah, that was us. It's like, we're going to rent a boat. Yeah. Let's rent a boat and crash it. Like, it's really crazy. They spend the entire week together and they celebrate their entire week together with an orgy. And uh, this is All, all four of them. All four of them. Wow, uh, it's it's filmed in a very obfuscated way. So no, still, it's a plot point a lot of movies wouldn't go for. Uh, I, I wish they were a little bit more explicit about it because uh, it turns out it's told like the little world Harry character. Um, like he's so out of it, like he's so drunk that he's only like vaguely perceiving things. In plain English, they had an orgy, although it's so vague. You could say, oh, they just had a wild night of some kind. Mm-hmm. Uh. The Lil Rel character is the neurotic character, and the John Cena character is the free spirit, and they're going to, at first, they're going to sort of bond over the fact, but when it comes time to actually have the wedding months later, and John Cena and, and his uh, his girlfriend shows up very, very pregnant, uh, he's going to uh, upset the square family that Lil Rel Howery is trying to impress. Uh, there is not a single original idea in any of this. Oh, not even. Oh. <laughs> not even in. I was thinking. Yes. Like, I was thinking about like the orgy is kind of unusual. Uh, although that was also kind of a part of Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar earlier this oh, year. Oh, I actually didn't see Barb and Star yet. A vastly superior comedy. Really? And now that I know there's an orgy in it. Uh, it's it's implied that there's a threesome in that movie. Okay. And, I, I, and, I and, and they just and they just have it. It's like cool. it's not even a big deal. Um, and, uh, 
the parentage of the unborn baby is the central plot for the rest of the movie. But oh, okay. then you know, we're going to go on a golfing expedition and John Cena does wacky stuff and they end up taking drugs and, mm. uh, but he, he ends up using his free spirit to, uh, to make some things better for him. Um, Look, I don't care about this movie. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> what, I don't what, care. Uh, what, what makes this movie go from it's not good to I'm just don't want to talk about it? Tell me about uh, that well, decision. There's there. there's a type of neurotic movie character that doesn't mm. resemble any kind of real life neurosis. Mm. The the kind of uptight, schedule driven male. They're typically a male character, right? And they're told to sort of loosen up by free spirit. Usually, that involves drugs. If you take yeah. drugs or if you get drunk or you just go a little wild, you'll loosen up and you'll be a better person for it. Um, it's so unbelievably artificial, mm. these types of characters. And watching otherwise talented comedians try to mine comedy out of these cliched human avatars yeah. is such a tiresome experience. Mm. Because they're not looking for the humanity in the character they're not trying to act the character and they're not mm. looking for something that actually needs to be addressed in terms of their neurosis. Right. It's a neurosis as an affect okay. and it's free spiritedness as an affect. These don't ever come across as real human beings who have different ways of living. What is the difference? Okay. Let me ask you this then. And again, I didn't see this movie. I'm not defending the movie. I'm talking about strictly the tone. Uh, what is the difference between something like what this movie is doing mm. and say the screwball comedies of the thirties where everything was exceptionally arch as well. And most of the characters mm. had little in common with an actual human being. Something like say bringing up baby. Okay. What, 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 is, what, what is this movie failing to capture that the success of those movies or the longevity of those movies? What, what, uh, what, why do those movies work? Arguably. Uh, they they know how to play that kind of artificiality for actual humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, those the the older films were very heavily scripted and very story and dialogue driven, whereas these uh, more recent comedies tend to be a little bit more laid back and actor driven, and they let a lot more. Um, they let the character types do the heavy lifting rather than the sharp dialogue okay. and the you know, sharp performances. They don't feel guided by, by a, exactly. by a they, cohesive they, vision. They feel really yeah. loose and uh, in yeah. many many cases, not in the case of Vacation Friends, but in many cases they let uh, the, com- the comedian actors do a lot of sort of riffing and improvising. I feel like we're starting to move away from that finally. Luckily, yes. Yeah. Uh, that, that's not a, like I said, that's not a big part of this movie. Yeah. But yeah, you, you look at a movie like, uh, you know, from the 1930s, which is 70 minutes long and only needs to be 70 minutes long and gets, you know, gets a lot of mileage out of good dialogue and, and actually in more interesting t- character types. Yeah. They're actually putting a little bit of variety, a little bit of spin. Mm. And also they understand that they're drawing from old comedy tradition. So mm. there is actually kind of a classical feel to a lot of those older movies, okay. not because they're old, but because they're drawing on older traditions, like more directly drawing on older traditions. So what you're saying is at the end of the day, Mm. vacation friends Mm. stinks. Yeah. Okay, cool. We can move on. That's that's I I could have just said that. (laughs) Yeah, but but we have to do my critical due diligence and describe exactly why why that's why that's a thing. All right. Well, uh, what about no man of God? Is that a laugh riot? Uh, Well, how do you feel about Ted Bundy? 
this is a Ted Bundy movie. They're, they're, uh, and there are a lot of Ted Bundy movies. Ted Bundy yeah. has been the subject of a lot of, and I've seen a lot of Ted Bundy movies, going all the way back to The Deliberate Stranger with Mark Harmon in the TV miniseries. Uh, with uh, young Terry Farrell and M.M. Walsh plays the cop in that one. Mm. Uh, and weirdly enough, I've actually seen relatively, I've seen a lot of Dahmer related movies. I actually mm. haven't seen a lot of Bundy related movies, even though I know there's a million of them. Yeah. I don't know why. I just, I've, they never seem to uh, come up. I never was like, hey, we need to watch this Ted Bundy movie. I don't know. Yeah, right. I've, I've seen, it never comes up. I've seen numerous Ted Bundy movies. Uh, okay. Ted Bundy was a infamous serial killer who killed, who I think confessed to. He, he was sentenced to death mm-hmm. for for sexual assault and for murder. And uh, I think he ended up... I think they, they were able to connect him to somewhere around 30 deaths? Uh, th- 30 oh, confessed, 20 uh, confirmed. Okay, 20 confirmed. He confessed to 30. Uh, there are some theories that he might have been responsible for the deaths of hundreds of women. Uh and he had a very particular M.O. Uh, Matthew Bright, who did the film Freeway. Mm. So good sleazy filmmaker did an incredibly sleazy movie about Ted Bundy called simply Ted Bundy in 2002. It's not factually accurate, but I feel like that film really got under the skin of just what an animal he was. Uh, just mm. what, how, how disconnected he was from the rest yeah, of humanity. Let, let, let's, and his, let's, his not, let, let's not, let's not be cruel to animals by bringing them into this. <laughs> Every, uh, Ted Bundy to, is to a Ted monster. Bundy. Okay. Um, this is a two hander. It feels like a stage play in a lot of ways between uh, Ted Bundy, who in this movie is played by a, an actor named Luke Kirby and uh, Bill Hagmire, the FBI agent uh, played by Elijah Wood, who uh, was assigned to psychologically profile Ted Bundy in the early days of what become uh, a com- the common practice of psychologically profiling criminals. Right. wasn't really common yet. Uh, they had to start interviewing criminals, get into their mindset, understand the criminal a little bit better so you could become a better uh, yeah, the profile. Hmm. And uh, this is about the series of interviews they had together, which took uh, place over the course of several years, uh, where Bill Hagmire would visit Ted Bundy, Bill and Ted, uh, he would visit him in prison and they would uh, just sort of eventually in this very strange way, learn to regard each other as human and become friends in a way. Uh, Bill Hagmire really understood Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy blows Bill Hagmire's. Bill Hagmire's like kind of a, this nerdy guy. He's a stuffed shirt. He's a suit. Uh, he's looking for something very clear cut about what's what's aberrant about you, Ted Bundy. What mm-hmm. drives you to do these things? We think and, that we think there's just going to be like one clear thing, and then we can and, just look uh, out for that and thing. I think and we that, can outlaw that thing. That, that might be why we keep coming back to Ted Bundy because we see him as this like fascinating aberration. And yeah. the thesis of this movie uh, that Ted Bundy says is. No ordinary people do this. I just, I just do. I, I, I'm just the one who ends up doing it. But anybody could could kill. Mm-hmm. Anybody has my appetites. And do you do you think the fact that I had a lot of Playboy magazines, which they tried to sort of say that that like uh-huh. that's like indicative of my depravity, and that what that's yeah. what led to my killing? Do you think having a lot of Playboys led to my killing? No, I just Playboys I just, everywhere. I just like those. Yeah. And I just like and I just like killing and that's just yeah. an ordinary thing for me. And this yeah. is something Bill Hagmeyer has a lot of trouble swallowing, but he ends up living with it to the point where he starts like breaking down a little bit. And okay. there's this really chilling sequence where he's driving down the street looking at people and you can see him like they, kind of I do it. It's like yeah. I I 
I think I could like, he's yeah. actually like weighing that in his mind. Um, by the end of the film, it ends up being about, uh, you know, the, the, the final days of, of Ted Bundy's life and how they're trying to get confessions out of him and a stay of execution. And he has ended up being, uh, put to death by the state. Uh, I think when it comes to the actual like catharsis and the crux of the plot and the things that actually make it all movie, it kind of flounders. It's like Candyman in that regard where the actual like plotting and structure don't really hold up very well. But I feel like there's, there's a a pretty good conversation being had between these two, these two characters for a a long portion of it. And I think Mm. it's, so the performances are bringing it up. The, the, the performances and some of the ideas that we're using, um, Ted Bundy as uh, we're, we're essentially using the media's fascination with Ted Bundy as a way to uh, not, not explain Ted Bundy or a sociopathy, but kind of demystify him in a way mm. where we're not trying to treat him like this sort of mythic figure. The way uh, individual is just uh, some dude. Who killed a lot yeah. Of he's, he's just some dude who killed a lot of people. And I think yeah. that's what the conversation, like when they're smiling and kind of joking around with each other, it's just a dude. Yeah. And it's not trying to humanize him, mm. but I mean, that is what it's doing, but it's not trying to get us well, to feel sympathy for him. It's trying to get us to understand that these kinds of dark impulses are a lot more common than we think they might be. Okay. So that's interesting. Which, which and I think, I think, I think the young. idea of demystifying uh, serial killers is probably very healthy if done mm. correctly. So, but in the end, it, good it, movie? In, in, the end, in the end, it's pretty good. I, okay. I, I, I do like the, but uh, I think this would play a lot better as a play okay. where we actually get to see the action rise and fall with the two actors on stage the entire time. That could be cool. Um, yeah, yeah. With, with, you know, the filmic techniques where, you know, with all the editing and time, you know, of course it takes place over several years. I think kind of draw has us drawing back a little bit and pushing us forward a little bit too much. Whereas mm-hmm. we should probably just be in there with them. Like we're kind of locked right. into that room with these two men. Okay. Well, uh, on the critically acclaimed scale, that is how we review movies. Mm-hmm. At the end of every episode, we review the new releases on a scale of C minus to C plus. Uh, C is an average, you know, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad. C plus is above average. We genuinely recommend this movie, whether we simply like it or love it. And C minus is below average. We don't think it's particularly good. We might even hate its guts. <laughs> uh, on the critically acclaimed scale, how is No Man of God? No Man of God. Uh, it, it's a B. Uh, B. It's a B. <laughs> wow. It's, no, it's not a B. It's 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 a C. <laughs> okay. It's a C. Okay. Welcome back to the B movies podcast. No, no. Uh, that, that was our old ratings. It's <laughs> it's a C. Um, okay. It's it's aiming really high. It doesn't quite hit, but I think there's a, a, just enough interesting stuff to, right. you know. Make it interesting. All right. Uh, what about Vacation Friends? Uh, go away. Go away, Vacation Friends. You need, C- to, you need to say it's, it out loud. It's a, it's a C, just, that's true. It's a C minus. Very clearly, it's a C minus. Someone recently uh, wrote in that they were uh, cataloging all of our ratings, and if we don't actually say it out loud, they don't count. So we have to make sure we actually say the words. Um, he's all that. Also a C minus. Okay. I think, it's, I, I think some of the young cast is very charming, uh, but... That this is a, a very trite film that is not a, really amusing or funny or moving in any kind of meaningful way. Fair enough. Uh, I'm actually going to give it a C. Um, not mm. a passionate C. I think the I think the cast elevates it a little. I think there is something that it is doing uh, about treating elements of what is normal for high school students as actually normal 
mm-hmm. instead of the way a lot of other uh, Hollywood movies do, which is their parents are confused and the parents are making the movie. And rather than wait <laughs> 10 years for like people to actually start making movies who grew up with this, mm-hmm. just let's just do it now. Yeah. Um, and, and Mark Waters is, is the director to do that kind of thing. Sure. He's done sure. it so many times uh, before. For, for me, it's, it's hindered by a certain lack of uh, thematic clarity. And also it's way too cheap. Mm-hmm. Like it's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it's it looks like a straight to video sequel, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. Um, and then lastly, Candyman, uh, which I give a big old C plus. Um, I give it a, a C plus. I also give it a C plus. It's yeah. it's a little bit qualified because I do think yeah. there's a, a lot that it kind of bungles here and there, but it's not enough to detract from a lot of the interesting ideas that yeah. do come across pretty clearly. A- anything that the movie doesn't quite get right, or anything that feels a little rushed, or mm-hmm. Whatever, it's because they were trying to fill the movie with interesting ideas and scary scenes, and it's not because they weren't trying hard enough. And I think ultimately that makes the movie feel really dense and rich, and even if parts of it don't quite work, all the other parts make up for it. I I feel like that's that can be mishandled. Like having so many ideas that your film just falls apart. And Mm -hmm. I feel that way about us. So all of the sloppiness I blame on Specifically on Jordan Peele, sure, one, of, one of the screenwriters, <laughs> yeah, uh, just because it resembles us in many ways. But I don't but... like us. I think that just yeah. splays everywhere. I, I like us yeah. a lot, but I agree. It's, it, it's the worst part of us is it's sort of its lack of clarity. Mm. And I think uh, this one suffers from that, too. But I do think it comes together well enough at the end that it gets Com- away. With it comes together far better than us and uh, yeah, in, in, a, right. in a way that I can wholeheartedly. I, th- I think the ending of this one works better than the ending yeah. of us. But, uh, but, you know, but that's a Jordan Peele movie and this mm. is a Nikki DaCosta movie. And uh, good for no, them. N- Nia, Nia DaCosta. What did I say? You said Nikki. Motherfucker. <laughs> it's all right. Okay. Little, little, little uh, slip of the tongue. Apologies. Um, but um, anyway, that is it for Critically Acclaimed. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We think you're great. Hmm. Uh, if you want to uh, uh, get more Critically Acclaimed, it's pretty easy to do. You can head over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. And we have a lot of exclusive shows at a variety of different tiers. Uh, you can also vote for future episodes of Critically Reclaimed. You get uh, online hangouts at certain tiers. We have shows about Batman, Star Trek, the Academy Awards. We do commentary tracks. Uh, all of that is available at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We're also on social media at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. We also have an uh, email podcast called We've Got Mail where every week we answer emails or letters from our various listeners. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net if you want to talk about anything we discussed on this episode or anything else that's on your mind. Uh, we also have a P.O. box for people who like to send us uh, actual physical letters. we got a couple more of those this week. Hooray. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, Whitney, what is the P.O. box? Uh, Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Uh, we also have uh, me and my partner, I'm Lampas Da Silva. We have an online soap store where we make handcrafted soaps that is over on Etsy. You can follow us on social media, Salt Cat Soap, all one word, Salt Cat Soap. Uh, we have links to the Etsy store from there. Just search for Salt Cat Soap on Etsy. Uh, we have soaps, uh, lotions, bath salts, stickers of our cat Luca. Um, all of it's available there, and if you uh, order right now, uh, we're actually giving out coupons that you can then stack, and you can get as much as 20% off on our Labor Day sale, which is coming up in about a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, head on over. Check it out. Um, and um, what do you tell them about your other podcast? Oh, that's right. Over on The Screen's Margins, which is a podcasting network run by the uh, the venerable B. Peterson, uh, they and I talk about... Ovid on a podcast called All About Ovid, spelled with all O's. 
if you know how to spell it, you'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> and if not, and good it, luck. And, to and you. if not, it's not a Googleable title, which is the best kind of title. Uh, but Great. yeah, we uh, they and I talk about a lot of. Uh, the, the wonderfully esoteric selection over on Ovid, the streaming service, which is a lot of deep cut art house stuff. It's international cinema. It's the stuff that played at museums. Uh, on our last episode, we talked about uh, filmmaker Yang Ming Ming. We've talked about Patricio Guzman. We talked about uh, uh, Marlon Riggs. Uh, we've we've talked about a lot of uh, we've talked about a lot of Diaz. Uh, we even had an episode where we went to, uh, over and talked with uh, Dave White about uh, Tsai Ming Liang. Uh, so a lot of really interesting international cinema, a lot of uh, really uh, exciting art that's put up on that streaming service. And we watch whatever we can and talk about whatever we caught that week. Nice. All right. Well, anyway, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll be back uh, later this week with more podcasts and next week with more Critically Acclaimed. And I'm tired. <laughs> so goodbye, everybody. Never forget, everyone's a critic. I want to go to the Midnight Show. I'm sorry, what?